0: Thanks so much, Pastor Finney, and hello, Hope Church, Long Island. So good to be with you. An unexpected pleasure, uh, unexpected perhaps to you as well. You may not have uh, tuned in, thinking that you would uh, find me here preaching today. But nonetheless, a uh, a real privilege to just bring God's word to you this morning. Previously, in this heroes sermon series, we looked at Joseph at the end of the book of Genesis and. And saw how that's how the Israelites wound up in Egypt. And this week, as we continue to consider these ordinary people, these perhaps unexpected people, these people that were often overlooked or people with their own issues, people who were bent and broken in some way, that God still used in pivotal moments in his grand story. As we journey through the Bible, we come to Moses. Yes, Moses of the Ten Commandments. Moses, the prince of Egypt. You may have heard the story before. But I think it's real appropriate that as we have moved into the Jewish high holidays, you know, just started celebrating Rosh Hashanah on Friday. That concludes today. And then soon we'll be at Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. All that is established in the um, writings that Moses would be moved to write a little bit later on in the story. But we're looking at Moses kind of early on today. Moses, a hero in many people's minds, a pretty big deal. He was definitely a leader, someone that God would use to lead his people out of Egypt. Because he was such an important leader, you might consider today's message something along the lines of, you know, the essentials of leadership or leadership essentials. And you might be thinking right now, but I'm not a leader. I'm nobody in any big position. I'm no big deal. Well, maybe that's the case, but I think you'll still find that what we look at and find in the story of Moses today is still relevant because chances are, no matter what you're doing, no matter what God has invited you into, there was a period of preparation and invitation, and then you had to respond. So as we prepare to look at this, will you, uh, will you pray with me? Lord Father, we thank you for this time to be able to look at your word, the word you give to us, the, Lord, the, the word that you, by your Holy Spirit, moved people like Moses to write. And so even now, as we look at this word, Father, I oversee the hearing of your word, the preaching of your word, and Lord Jesus, be lifted up. Holy Spirit, have your way with us and have us understand and live this word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Moses made God mad. He literally ignited God's indignation. And we read a little bit after what, we was, what was just read by Pastor Finney in Exodus chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. He said, Lord, please send someone else. Now, In the case in in some non-Western cultures, no sometimes means yes. Because it's just kind of rude to say yes right away. So you kind of have to beg off. You have to show your humility to think that, really, I'm no big deal, and so I really shouldn't say yes to what you're inviting me into right away. But in this case, no really did mean no. Moses just wasn't feeling it. So he was trying to say no. He was was trying to pass the buck. He wanted to duck. He wanted to disappear, to disengage. In some ways, he was trying to ghost God. That even though God had reached out to him and invited him in, he was kind of trying to say, no, not me. Can't someone else do this? At some point, I think All of us can kind of identify in doing this. It may, again, not necessarily be being invited into anything real big. It may not be our invitation to lead, but it often is something where God wants us to step out. God wants us to do something that hasn't been done before. We haven't done before. We haven't been engaged before, but we hesitate. We want someone else to step up. We want God to go find another person. And we try to take ourselves out of the picture, out of the equation. We may even try to disqualify ourselves, finding some reason, some excuse to say, no, not me, because I'm no big deal. Listen, that's why we need to learn from this story of Moses. Moses, who is lauded many times for you know being such a great figure. A man of faith, he even shows up in the, the hall of faith, if you will. If, if you know Hebrews 11, it lists all the great characters in the uh, story of, of God's people. Moses occupies a pretty significant chunk of the, of the ink, so to speak. A lot of the text is spent on what Moses... Did. But you know what? Here's the thing even those in the hall of faith hesitate. Even those guys that the Bible points out and holds up as models of faith, they hesitate. And that's why we need to see that God was really active in the story of Moses and to see the essentials of leadership that were at play as God sent Moses to lead his people out of Egypt, out of bondage. And there are going to be three points that we'll look at briefly this morning. Basically, the preparation, and then second, the invitation, and third, the response. The preparation, the invitation, and then the response, which in the case of Moses, started out as hesitation. But we will have to go back to the beginning, really, the beginning of Moses' story a little bit. I mean, basically the beginning of Exodus, to fully appreciate what was involved with all this preparation that God took Moses through. You see, we find at the beginning of the book of Exodus that, well, basically Pharaoh had changed. I'm not just talking about one person changing, I'm talking about there was a new king In Egypt. In fact, the whole new ruling family, if you will, the previous ones who were in power at the time of Joseph, well, they were actually kind of foreigners. These guys who are now in power, they didn't like foreigners. In fact, you might say they were those who wanted to make Egypt Egyptian again. They were suspicious of Foreigners. They were uh, suspicious of people who were originally from the outside. And so, of course, they were suspicious of these people that were in Joseph's family that he had brought in. they didn't know Joseph, and they didn't know these descendants of Jacob or Israel, the Israelites. Now, we read in Exodus chapter 1, verses 22... And following, that it had gotten so bad, in fact, that Pharaoh commanded all his people that every son that is born to the Hebrews, you shall cast into the Nile. That's how bad their paranoia had gotten. But then it continues to say that Moses was born into a Levite family, basically Descendants of the son Levi out of Jacob's sons. And they saw that he was fine. In fact, the New Testament would say he was beautiful. Beautiful both in the eyes of his parents. Beautiful in the sight of God. And so mom tried to hide him. Mom hid him, in fact, for three months. But then apparently it became impossible to keep hiding him in that manner. And so, what did she do? Well, see, she essentially built a mini ark. An ark, you know, if you remember Noah, you've probably heard of him. We didn't necessarily land on him, but Noah and the flood, you know, and the rainbow and all that, he had this ark, this huge ark, that he brought all the, the animals two by two into. Essentially, what mom built here was a miniature version of that. And she put Moses in it and put him in the river. Basically by the riverbank among the reeds. Well, what happens after that is um, Moses' sister Miriam stays stays by, watches what happens, and and one day as Pharaoh's daughter comes by to bathe, well, she finds the reed. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, the, the ark in the midst of the reed. And Miriam steps forward and suggests that she could find an Israelite woman to help nurse this baby that Pharaoh's daughter found. And wouldn't you know, Miriam then goes fi- to find mom. So Moses' mom is brought right back in the picture. And Moses basically grew up With both the nurture and information of God's people, but also in Pharaoh's court, the son of Pharaoh's daughter, he grew up a prince of Egypt. Marvelous how God worked all these things, brought all these things together. Sure, mom and Miriam, they were quick and resourceful and smart, Like many of the women in our lives, right? But God made use of them in preparation of Moses. Now, we fast forward. We fast forward some, I would say, like 40 years, according to the New Testament. And we find still in Exodus chapter 2, Exodus chapter 2, verses 11 and following, we find that when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people And he looked on their burdens. He saw what they were going through. And it says that he saw an Egyptian beating one of his people. Beating an Israelite, one of his people. And then what did Moses do? Well, it says he looked this way and that. And he struck down the Egyptian and buried him in the sand. in essence here... This wasn't just some kind of crime of uh, passion or rage. He decided, after he saw this, he was going to probably follow this guy until he thought nobody was looking and struck him down, premeditated. And then he tried to bury him. Interestingly, the New Testament tells this incident this way. We read in Hebrews chapter 11, now the Hall of Faith, Hebrews chapter 11, verses 24 to 25 says, By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. Now, I guess what the Bible is commending there is how Moses had to make a decision. Moses had to choose to stand with God his people in their oppression rather than just simply continue with the pleasures and comforts that he may have enjoyed in the palace of Pharaoh. And so you might say, yeah, that's a good thing. Solidarity, standing with those who are being mistreated, suffering with those who suffer. Those are important things. But then the striking down Part, that's not necessarily a God thing. That was his thing. That was that was him taking the bull by the horns, him kind of taking the reins, acting out of what he thought he could do in this situation, or what he felt moved to do in this situation. So how did this work out for Moses? Well, not so much. See, a day later, uh, in verse 14 of this, it tells us that a man who was, they were fighting, there were two Hebrews fighting, and the man that was in the wrong answered, uh, answered Moses when he tried to intervene, saying, who made you a prince and a judge over us? Do you mean to kill me as well, just like you killed the Egyptian? And then Moses realized When he thought nobody was looking, the matter had become known. So Moses was afraid. In fact, it kind of goes on to say the Pharaoh actually heard about this. And he became angry, sought to uh, take Moses. So Moses fled. And it says he fled out of the country to Midian. There's a lot to the story that we're going to skip. You know, Basically, he winds up, he, he, uh, he rescues um, some sisters by a well. He marries one of the sisters. These girls were, were actually the daughter of a priest in Midian, Jethro. So Moses winds up the son-in-law of a priest of Midian, Jethro, married to his daughter Zipporah. And he's out tending sheep. And the New Testament tells us this this is like 40 years later. So he spent a good amount of time in the wilderness primarily with sheep. He was a shepherd of real sheep when the invitation came. See, he was keeping his father-in-law's sheep. It says in the west side of the wilderness... And he came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Ah, that mountain's going to figure out pretty prominently in the future as well as the story continues. But so he's in this area when God causes a bush to burn that does not get consumed. And that's what we read in the scripture reading. And God speaks up from this bush. So this whole... Incident is designed to just get Moses' attention. Now, we may or may not get a similar invitation. We may not have such a spectacular sign to get our attention, but God will get our attention somehow. God then speaks to Moses and says, The bottom line, verse 10, come, I will send you to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt. That was the invitation. God was now going to have this guy who was 40 years in Egypt and then 40 years in the wilderness to go back to Egypt to get the Israelites whom he had identified with at some point out of Egypt because God saw what was going on with them, and the story was not supposed to end right where it was, where they sat, where they were being oppressed. So maybe I'll pause at this moment and and ask this question, because sometimes maybe you've heard the, the saying that God calls the qualified Does he call call the qualified, or does he qualify the called? Because sometimes you hear that too, that God qualifies the called. I, I think what we see here is that, you know, God prepares the ones he invites. And he also invites the ones he has prepared. You may not understand that you have been prepared for something, that now he is inviting you into. But in reality, in all sorts of different ways, he has prepared you before he invites you. But even as he invites you, he's going to prepare you. And he'll probably continue to prepare you for what he has, the part that he has you play. If he's inviting you into something, no matter what it is, Big or small, important, or perhaps less visible. He is preparing you. He has prepared you. But what was Moses' response then? Having been prepared and now having this invitation. Well, if we look at verse 11 here, immediately following what was read, Moses said this, Who am I? Who am I that I should go? So the hesitation begins. Now this could, again, like I said, have been a more kind of formal, you know, humble, self-deprecating, who am I? You know, I, I don't know exactly who I am, or what I've got. I'm no big deal. But I don't think it was so much that he didn't know himself or that he was trying to be super humble. Rather, it brings out that he wasn't quite sure. He was prepared. He was ready for what might come ahead. You see, because Moses has re- expe- experienced rejection before, hasn't he? I mean, based on what we just said about his story, even when he tried to step in and help, they said, no thanks, and he had been rejected, and he had to flee, in fact. How does God answer this first objection, this first question? God says, but I will be with you, and this will be a sign for you that actually after you, they, he's delivered his people, they, you will come back to this same mountain, this mountain of God. Now, Moses follows that up with a uh, second question, verse 13. If I come to the people of God and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? God gave him an answer for this too. Don't miss it. I am who I am. Just say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent you. Basically, God was telling Moses, I am. In this very kind of puzzling way, I am not only a self-existing God, I am unique among all these other gods that you you hear mentioned around the Egyptian landscape. You may have known me perhaps as the God of your forefathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and that's all true, but maybe you're not as familiar with the fact that I am. I am and I will be with you. I am and will be the God who keeps his promises made to your forefathers. I am and I will deliver I am going to make good on this. I am doing this, which I'm calling you to do. You know, interestingly enough, while Moses wasn't completely familiar with this God who goes by I am, Jesus comes later. And says repeatedly, I am, referring back to this name. I mean, you may be familiar, right, in, in uh, just the book of John, the gospel of John, Jesus has these like seven I am statements. You're familiar with some of them. Uh, specifically in chapter 8, he says, um, I am the light of the world. Right? There are others, right? You know, it says, I am the bread of life, I'm the resurrection, the life, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. But you know, in that same chapter, chapter 8 of John, there's also some very, there's three other explicit I am's. You may be familiar, when, when these descendants of these same Israelites were wondering and, and kind of rejecting Jesus, he said to them, before Abraham was, I am. And you've probably heard that one before. But you know, there's two others. Interesting, also in, that, in the same chapter uh, of, of, uh, of John, chapter 8. He, he says, one, um, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am. And he goes on to say, I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone. Jesus knew exactly who he was. Jesus knew that God was with him. And referring essentially in, a, in a maybe a, a kind of obscure way to how Moses um, later on in the story would, he would lift up a uh, bronze serpent so the people would be saved from like scorpions. Jesus referred to himself being lifted up so that his people might be saved, so that you and I might be saved. And he says, When I am lifted up, then you will know that I am. And then a third one, even earlier than that, he said to them, "Um, I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am, you will die in your sins. He calls us to actually believe that he's I am. Jesus knew who he was. He equates himself with this I am, this one who Moses wasn't so familiar with up to this point when God called him. But you know, another contrast can be made up, made out, and and that is that whereas Moses hesitated, where he was a little unsure, Jesus was happy to carry out what he had been sent to do You know, Hebrews chapter 12 reminds us that Jesus, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, now seated at the right hand of God. What does this all mean for you and for me? Well, let me put it this way. You have to know not only who you are, but you have to know who it is that's sending you. Who it is this calling you and inviting you to step out or to do what it is that He has you to do as you play your part? As you play your part in the story. My own preparation, my own invitation to even kind of pastor a church has, has been somewhat long and drawn out. I first kind of got the inkling when I was still in college. But then I, I went into the Navy, and that kind of like put all that off for a while. And then when I got out of the Navy, basically God was saying, well, not yet, because, you know, there's a lot of rough edges here now, and you're going to have to mellow out, and you're going to have to chill out, and eventually, I'll call you. Eventually, I'll invite you. And even when I got here to New York 10 years ago, there was still a whole lot of Wait, not yet. The invitation will come. And I felt many times like, I'm in the wilderness. Do I even belong here? Am I in the right place? When we were ready to start, uh, when I was ready to start with Edge City Church, we were all ready to go this spring, and then COVID-19 hit. And it was as if God was saying, hold off again. There's still more to work on you. There's still stuff that you have to understand primarily, despite all that's going on, you have to understand you're really no big deal. I'm the big deal. God is the big deal, not you. And it was not until all that was kind of ironed out in my head He was said now. And then he invited. And then he opened the doors. And then he sent. I don't know what it is that God is inviting you to do at this point. Maybe it is to start something. Maybe it is to lead something. Maybe it's to stand with certain people. Maybe it is even to suffer with people. Maybe it's to set certain people free. Is it to influence? Is it to rule? Is it to oversee? And then you may be hesitating. You may be looking at yourself, your own abilities, what you've got, and you're thinking, I'm no big deal. But you know, here's the point. If you know what I mean, God's the big deal. You've got to look to him. He's the one that's going to give you what you need to get what he's going to do done. Know the one who's inviting you. He invites those he prepares. And he prepares those he invites. He's the great I am, and he is with you. Know the one who is sending you. Know the one who is inviting you. And knowing the one who sends you, let's go. Will you pray with me? Lord Father, we thank you that much like Moses, whatever you're inviting us into, maybe it's simply just to believe that you are the great I am. No matter what it is that we are supposed to step into as we play our part in the story, you've prepared us. And now you invite us. Help us to respond accordingly. Help us to say yes to you. Help us to know you. We ask and we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.